You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from Pastor Lee Mason. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Good to see you. Athens is a different place when the students are gone, isn't it? It's great to see you. Once again, I just want to reiterate um, what Lisa said about the, um, you know, the, the uh, event we had at Rock Springs. Just thank everybody. Thank all you that gave uh, your generosity. Um, you know, thank you know, again, Elizabeth. Just tremendous job. I was with a. Uh, a guy we went to dinner afterwards and he literally described you as a rock star. That's literally what he <laughs> did. And we're just we're just really just proud of the work you're doing. Um, you know, Joe, who's part of our worship team, just went way out of his way. Joe, we think you're here somewhere, but to you, you what you did set you know the sacrifice to make that a success was awesome. Um, I thought I saw Tab Butler in here. Did I see Tab in he just will tell him, I was just so proud to see him. All the, the young people were there. It was really cool. The parents that brought your kids. It was just an awesome thing to do. And, and, and you know, Gator. Sermon series last week is going to be just a three-week series. This last week, this week, and then 
next week. And we're calling this series The Third Conversion. And I got that from a quote uh, by Martin Luther. And years ago, uh, he made this quote. He said, you know, all Christians, all people uh, that are Christians need to go through three conversions. No, they will go through three conversions. One is the conversion of the heart. The other is the conversion of the head. And the last is the conversion of the wallet. And he said, unfortunately, they don't all happen at the same time. And sometimes it's work. It takes time for the what touches our heart to change our thinking and really affect us as givers and, and affect the way we actually view money. And so what we did last week, we went through the Old Testament uh, and looked at what the Bible said about giving. We wanted to look this week at what Jesus says about giving. And next week we'll look at what the New Testament said about giving after Jesus um, you know, after the Christian faith was born. And we found out last week in the Old Testament, uh, giving was, in the Old Testament, was a practice called tithing. And the word tithing means a tenth. And we kind of looked at several passages that where this came from, and we looked from Genesis and the life of Abraham, Jacob. We looked at how it was established in the law when the law was formed. We saw that when the kingdom came and there was an actual kingdom and a government and a palace and all these things, when they did practice tithing, it was fantastic. Uh, even after they were conquered and they were rebuilding their nation, uh, there was a time when the, the people really, the, the, a revival in just doing this discipline for the people of God came back. And it was a very powerful and impactful time in the days of Nehemiah. And when the Bible ends, there is a uh, passage from a prophet named Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament. Not when the Bible ends, when the Old Testament ends. And in that passage, one of the things that, that Malachi talks about is the importance of God's people being committed to tithing, to bringing a tenth of their income, their wealth, their increase into the storehouse. And he promised blessings. He promised incredible ideal things would happen as the, the ministry had in, you know, plenty of resource to do its work. It would have a very powerful effect uh, in everybody's life. And that was kind of how the... Um, the, New, the Old Testament ends, and it's really interesting in that passage, uh, God says, bring the tithe in. And the word tithe also is translated test. And it's kind of a play on words in there where God says, you bring your tithe in and you tithe me. You test me and see if I won't pour out a blessing on you. And, he, and he, So there's an interesting uh, play on that word. But that's how they practice giving in the Old Testament. And all throughout it. Every phase of it. And so when we come to Jesus, um, you know, there's always a lot of, there's 200, there's 2,500 passages in the Bible about money. So obviously Jesus is going to hit this topic some. And he did several times. He would talk, he had a, let me first just kind of say some things Jesus said about money in general. Um, and, and it's kind of interesting. If you read Jesus, one of the things he did consistently in, in talking about money is he would sort of kind of, I don't want to say stab, but kind of poke the rich a lot. Like he talked a parable about heaven and hell. And guess who went to heaven? The poor guy. And guess who went to hell? The rich guy. Jesus would just poke often the rich. He would poke them. And he, and he, he wanted to stimulate them to think 
beyond themselves, to think beyond what they had and what they might buy next, but to think about their wealth in a much bigger, broader context. And so he always did that. Jesus also, we know, is very famous for being an advocate for the poor. Um, a famous thing Jesus said that we ought to always take to heart is in Matthew 24, Jesus said, literally said this, he talked about the poor, the imprisoned, and other things, but he, particularly about the poor, he said, when you have done it to the least of these, you have done it to me. And that's a very powerful thing to embrace. Very powerful truth. That when you are giving to the poor, when you're ministering to the poor, when you're doing something to people who are not in a great place financially, particularly when there's believers, particularly people in your own church body, you are doing that to Jesus. That is a very striking uh, truth to embrace. And so Jesus did this. So Jesus constantly poked, poked the rich, poked those that were comfortable financially, and advocated for those that were poor. There's a verse in the book of James. Jesus' brother, who grew up with Jesus, uh, wrote this one time. He said, let the rich man glory in his low position and let the poor man glory in his high position. What does it mean for a rich man to glory in his low position? It just means this. When you, when you are a rich person and you're a servant, when you're a rich person and you're a giver, you are really glorifying the God that made you so privileged. You're really finding out your purpose. You're finding out the why of your life. You glory when you have, when you take a low position and you serve and you give and you release. And that's just the, the sort of the way Jesus orients himself about money. Now, a lot of social movements want to pick up Jesus and borrow him for their, for their cause. There's a lot of right-wing ideologies who will take Jesus and they'll make him the hero of capitalism. You know, the, the parable of the talents. He's capitalism's hero. But then there's others who could take the parable of the workers in the vineyard where some guys worked all day, some guys worked half a day, some guys worked a third day, and they all made the same amount of money. And you could take that and make Jesus the hero of socialism. You could do either one with him. And the truth is, I don't think he would care. You know, and I think... I would just be really cautious of ideologies. I don't care what side of the spectrum. They want to borrow Jesus and kind of make him their religious icon. And there's a lot going both ways. I remember a great quote by Jordan Peterson. He's talking about ideology. And he says, every ideology, no matter which one it is, which side of the scope it's on, has this assumption that the problem is somebody else's fault besides them. Every ideology, somebody else's fault. And the prerequisite for society experiencing its potential utopia is for it to change according to their dictates. And then he goes on and he says, you know, a truly religious person is much more concerned with changing themselves, which is far more difficult and a lot less grand. And that's what Jesus really ideologized. Change yourself. Stop being obsessed with someone else's income. 
stop being obsessed with those kind of things and, and start thinking what can you do to make a difference what can you do with what you and I have to promote the kingdom of God and to bless our world and bless our community that's the way Jesus I think would orient himself now when it got to giving Jesus talked about giving a lot he had a couple things that were think really valuable one thing is he uh, there's a famous story where Jesus is at the temple and there's people bringing in tons of money publicly and there's this old widow that comes in and she puts two coins in this plate and Jesus said does anybody remember the story Jesus said this woman literally gave more than everybody else now you think well what do you mean other guys gave bigger amounts and, and all this but he said no she gave everything she had and, and one of the things that really reiterates is I think what moves God a lot in giving is not amount or percentages but I think it's sacrifice I think are we being really sacrificial in our giving you know there's a really interesting uh, book that was written called Pass the Plate it was written about 10 years ago and it surveyed giving in America it was three uh, Christian sociologists, one at Northwestern, one at North Carolina, University of North Carolina, and they just wanted to research giving among churches in America. And they found out that uh, evangelical Christians were by far the most committed givers. Uh, they found out that, but even among that, about 27% of them were actually tithing. And then they got really into the breakdown. And here's what they found out. Now, this is really interesting about giving in America, giving among uh, evangelical Christians. They found out that among those that really struggled, that made $30,000 or less, they gave about 9%. They were very generous with what they had. They found out among Christians who were evangelicals that made $200,000 or more, they gave right at about 10 to 11%. Again, what they found out, though, is that Christians that made between seventy dollars and 150000 the average giving was less than 2%. Evangelical Christians, between 70 and 150, gave less than 2%. And they did something else they didn't intend to do, but they actually broke down this survey based on race. They didn't mean to do it, but they just, when they were doing it, and they were sort of understanding, and they just were kind of inadvertently, kind of a disinterested check the box, what's your race, but they actually went back and began to look at it, and they found something else that was pretty startling. I think it helped them understand this phenomenon. They found out among four ethnicities, black, Hispanic, Asian, and white, that by far the most generous were black Christians, far more faithful in their giving than any of the other races. But in, in white were the worst. White were the stingiest particularly in that middle group. And they said that what they felt like was the problem is that a lot of people grow up that, that understand financial pressure and sacrifice. And it is something that a lot of us that maybe didn't grow up in, with those kind of circumstances just avoid. And it's just like that's taboo. We don't want to avoid that. We don't want, and it's, it's just the, the inability to embrace the pain of just being a partner with God in giving was something that most white middle-class Christians just refused to do. And so it's just very interesting to, to think about that and to sort of ponder with it. If that's a battle for you, listen, don't be condemned. There's a, you're not alone. That's, there's something in our culture 
that it, it makes it more challenging. So anyways, but I just thought that was very interesting um, about that. But, that. but Jesus talked about sacrifice. Somebody always asked, did Jesus ever talk about tithing and affirm tithing? I would say if he did, he did it one time in a very backhanded way. There's a verse in Luke 11, 42, where he's talking to these Pharisees and he tells them, you tithe mint and cumin. That means every little thing you get, you give an exact 10% of. But you neglect to be merciful to the poor and you neglect justice for the poor. So he, he said you should have done both. You know, he kind of, so he gave kind of a backhanded affirmation of it. But that was Jesus on giving. So the, the big thing I think we, and we get to this passage, I'm going to be real quick though. It's in Luke chapter, in Matthew chapter 6. When we talk about giving and, and just money, I think what Jesus talked about is, you know, give and it'll be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running out all over. He does not want do, giving to be a duty or a contest or a measurement of your spirituality. He wants you and I in our giving to celebrate and worship a generous God. That's his heart. That you and I would learn, no matter what our income level, what our ability, we'd learn to worship and celebrate an incredibly generous God. And that's what he wants to do. And so let's look at, at uh, this passage in Matthew chapter 6. Let me read it real quickly to you. It's from the Sermon on the Mount. And there's a few points Jesus made that are very interesting about this, this topic. Look at verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven, where maras and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, here's the thing that, that I found. You know, you can have a lot of money and serve God. And you can be completely broke and be serving money. This is not about what you have. This is about attitudes, about wealth, and what we've been given and how we do it. So let's kind of look through these things that Jesus says. First thing he says there in verse 19, um, he says that he, he makes three comparisons. And he says number one comparison he makes, he says, is everybody has a vault. They have a safe that you're making deposits in with your wealth. And that vault is either in heaven or that vault's on earth. And he's saying, where are you storing what you have? Where are you investing what you have? What are, where are you putting stuff away? You know, if you're going to invest or you're going to, you, know, you want to know about a fund. And what do you want to know about that fund? 
You can ask Lee Davis, our chairman of the board. He would tell it. He's a, and Bill behind him. These are great. They're in that. But you want to know, does it, is it good? Does it have a return on its vested? Is it worth it to put my money in this fund, in this vault? And here's what Jesus is saying. The most worthwhile thing, the smartest thing, the best thing you can do with what you have is to invest it in heaven. Put it in heaven's vault. Put it away. Invest it. If you put your treasure there, that's where you want to have it. In heaven. Invest in heaven. Invest there. And, and, and that's what he's talking about here. Then he goes on and he talks about two lenses. Two lenses. And he says this. Your eyes need to be full of light. Your eyes need to be full of light. And he talks about not only two vaults, but two lenses. And what does he mean there? And he talks about how the light is the lamp of the body. And if you have healthy light, you have healthy eyes, your body is going to benefit from it. How do you know that? Just think about what it would be like, how, how encumbered your body is if you can't see. Trying to use your hands if you can't see. Trying to function and move around if, you're, if your eyes are unhealthy. You know, imagine Tom Brady, the great quarterback. If he had bad eyesight. He couldn't see. He couldn't do anything. What would LeBron James be? The greatest athlete in the world. <laughs> guy at the football game was just asking me, the young guy, we both found we played basketball. He says, you know, he was younger than me. He said, oh, you, you were back in Michael Jordan. Let me ask you, who's better, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? And I talked to him for 15 minutes after that. I told him my opinion. But LeBron, but could you imagine this incredible athlete if you were blind? Six foot nine, 270, and can run, and he's skilled, and he's all. What if he were blind? He would be a waste. All his physical attributes, all his giftings, all his strength and his speed and his hand-eye cord and all those incredible talents that are invested in him would be absolutely wasted if he had unhealthy eyes. What's Jesus saying here? If your eyes are unhealthy, you can blow what you have. You can blow what he's been given to you. In our country, we celebrate People of great wealth. They have a yacht and nine huge homes and a car collection. And we think, what a life. Almighty God, the judge of every man, will say, what a waste. What a waste. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body and he said, and Jesus goes, what if the light in you is darkness? God, how great. How debilitating, how devastating that darkness is. Two vaults. Are we investing in heaven? Or are we just investing in earth? Two lenses. What do we see is really mattering? And then he talks about two masters. Two masters. 
He says, you're going to either love one, hate the other, you'll cleave to one, you'll despise the other. And he goes, you can't serve God and money. You can't serve both. You know, I have a, um, my father-in-law is a great man. I'm very proud of him. Fred, he and uh, his wife, Carol, come uh, down and spend several months with us during the winter. And, my God, they're coming next week. <laughs> That's just me. This week. This week. I'm going to start Three crying. <laughs> my Lord. Anyways, they're both a piece of work. I don't think I can finish the sermon now. I just to be honest with you. But Fred is a tremendous guy. He, he um, you know, before he finished high school, went into the Navy, got out, got a GED, learned to weld, uh, taught welding at a junior college in small town in Iowa. And literally, he is the American dream. He started his own business piece by piece, you know, pinched a penny till Lincoln screamed and paid cash for everything. And he... One time I had 14, 15 employees, tremendous building projects, very capable, competent guy, just discovered his, his giftings while doing this thing, and, and has done real well. Fred always tells me about this time when he was working at the junior college, and he had started his own business, and he, he just knew that there was a time when Anything the junior college wanted him to do was a drag. It was duty. Ugh. Ugh. You know, I got to go to this stupid faculty meeting. I got, eh, you know, just anything. And he was up late at night excited about his metal fabbing project. And he knew he was going to separate. My friend Travis over here talks about when he was in banking and he was starting to do commercial real estate he was doing real well how uh, he was going to his pastor about what should he do and his pastor pulled out a coin and says real simple I'll tell you let's decide this way we'll flip a coin heads you stay tails you start your own business he was like is that in the bible I mean, do you do <laughs> and the guy said what do you want it to be if it was heads would you be disappointed and he knew this job got my gut and this one is just a job it's a duty here's what Jesus is saying you, you can't have two things that get your gut if money has your gut sermons like this on giving you're grimacing oh my god and you can be rich or poor same reaction uh, he's always saying you can't serve both you cleave to one despise the other love one hate the other you can't serve God and man and then makes this really cool thing Jesus ends with he says you know where your treasure is there your heart is also what a simple honest clear clean way to really evaluate ourselves where your treasure is there your heart is also. You know, you and, my, and I have a path to what's on the throne of our life. You know what it is? It's our wallet. 
Your wallet, my wallet, is a path to a throne. And what sits on that throne is the most important thing in our life. Jesus, what, what's on the throne? What is the father path of your, what's it leading? And that's why our wallet needs to be converted. Is that going to be a believer? Follow Jesus? I can know the Bible. But you know what? I can still be on the throne. Self can be on the throne. Fear what may happen tomorrow. And still be on the throne. Jesus wants to be on the throne. He wants to be on the throne. Look, let me, let me close this thought about money. I think this is kind of summarize a lot of things Jesus would say and would think and would say to us today. You know, money is a great servant. Money is a great servant. Money is a terrible ruler. It's a terrible ruler. Let money be your servant. And Christ your ruler. And that's his will. And, and that's what a converted wallet, the third conversion, is really all about. <coughs> letting him rule and letting money serve. I think we'll find that in that vein of thought, in that embrace of that truth, we're going to walk into God's plans for our life in a spectacular way. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much. You know, I'm just very grateful personally just to be in this incredible country where we can, you know, we can thrive financially so easily. And I thank you for it. It's an incredible gift. And Lord, I pray that we would use this gift, this possibility, this potential in a way that glorifies you and pleases you. I pray we wouldn't, that our life would resemble a great athlete that you can't see. And all his talents and all his gifts are completely wasted. Because his eyes are unhealthy. Give us healthy eyes to see the, the vault of heaven is much more priceless, much more important than the vault of earth. And we just pray you give us grace to do that as we wrestle with this issue. I pray you just give everybody here the, the grace to know they're loved and they're accepted regardless. But that you really do have better things uh, in our future as we serve you and follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.